So, uh, but I want to talk about prayer focus, prayer focus, prayer focus. So let's pray and we'll look at this in just a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. And God, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts and change our lives through the word of God today. God, I pray that you would just continue throughout this year to help us to be a people who pray. God, to become a people who depend on you completely. We learn how to pray. We learn how to go into the closet, Lord, and to shut the door and to shut everything out, God. And we begin to have a a secret place because, God, the Father who sees in secret, that's where you meet with us. And the Father who sees in secret, he rewards us openly. And, God, we learned last week he rewards us with a... a, uh, God, a peaceful life, God, just uh, takes away the chaos when we go into the, into the prayer closet, God, and we seek his face and we seek the wisdom of God. And today, God, you have another kind of prayer you want to teach us about, God. And uh, Father, I believe it's going to help us this morning. And I believe at the end, we're going we're gonna to have some uh, focused prayer, God, that's going to go up before you. And Father, that uh, you're going to hear and you're going you're gonna to answer, God. You're the God who answers prayer. God, you're the God who answers prayer. God, at a certain time, God, uh, righteous people begin to understand that when they called upon God, that you heard us and you answered our prayers, God. And we're so grateful for that, God. We're grateful for God who hears us and answers us and helps us and gives us access to the throne of God, Lord, day and night, that we can come before your throne of grace and we can find help in our time of need. So thank you, Lord, for it. Speak to our hearts today and change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles again, prayer focus. Prayer focus. James 5.13, it says, Is anybody among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Amen? Come on, that's, a, that's great. That's a great balance for uh, church life. That's a great balance for Christian life. Uh, for our lives, is, uh, that, that, is anybody in trouble? Pray. Is anybody among you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. We should be praise and worship. We should be uh, singing songs uh, unto God, and then we should be making petitions unto God, right? We should be bringing our petitions before the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, look at what the Word of God says here. Do not be anxious about anything. How many know worry is a sin? It's a sin. Do not be anxious about anything. But we do a lot of worrying in this world, don't we, and in this nation, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, here's the antidote for worry. This is why we're not getting delivered from worry, because the antidote is prayer. Prayer and petition to God. Bring your request to God, right? You're worried about the bills? Bring them to God. You're worried about the children? Bring it to God. You're worried about the marriage? Bring it to God. You're worried about relationships? Bring them to God. You're worried about this or that? Bring that situation in prayer and petition with thanksgiving unto God, right? We learned about having a prayer language a few weeks ago, and we learned one of the first steps of having that prayer language is coming in to His presence with gratitude and with thanksgiving. And I hope you've been doing Doing that in your lives. And it says, and present your request unto God. So the antidote for worry is bringing our petitions with thanksgiving. And the promise is, He'll give us peace. He'll give us peace. He'll give us peace. Amen. Who can beat that deal? If you'll come before me with, uh, with, with, your, with your request and your petitions, then I promise I'm going to bring the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and it's going to guard your heart and guard your mind. Amen. Some of you act like you like that and some of you look like you'd rather stay in your misery. Amen. You'd rather hold on to your petitions and not take them to God because you like being miserable. But God wants you to come to him and he wants to get you out of that misery. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've been hanging on to it too long. 30 years is long enough. 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 1 year is long enough. Amen. It's time to move on. Time to get over it. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. So we want to excel this year in praying. Right? 
We want to excel. We want to excel. If you want to excel in something, we want to, we want to excel in a lot of things in this world, right? Football, basketball, baseball, this, uh, planting flowers, whatever we like doing. But hey, there, there's something we really need to excel in this year, and that's prayer, right? We, we want to pray. We want to pray, and we want to excel in prayer. And general prayer in the Greek language, sometimes it means this. It means when you walk down the road and you just are, remember God's goodness, and you go, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Like that song, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes that's prayer. That sounds like praise, but you're walking down the road and all of a sudden you, a hallelujah drops into your heart and you're communing with God. You're beginning to talk with God. You're beginning to express thanksgiving to God. So there's this praise to God. There's this worship to God in prayer. There's this petition to God. There is intercession where you pray about a situation for somebody else, where we intercede for other people. So there's all kinds of prayers that we find in the Bible. Some prayers are, are not answered because uh, every now and then there's a group of prayers that aren't answered, I believe, because we, we pray them as general prayers, meaning we come and we rattle off all kinds of things as a general prayer when God wants that prayer to be a focused prayer. And that's what we're talking about today, a focused prayer uh, where, where it's not just a, a list of a lot of things, but where God has put something onto our heart and it's a focused thing, that we're focused on that one thing. How many know you can't really focus on 11 things at a time? We're not designed that way, right? You can't really be passionate about that many things and keep that many things in focus at one time. Usually we can only handle being focused on like one thing or a couple of things at a time. And so God sometimes wants us to come before him and he wants us to have focused prayer, focused prayer, where we're focused on that, that thing that God is putting on our heart. And so we'll, we'll look at all kind of prayers this year and we'll look at those where we bring all kind of petitions before him. We talked about that in the prayer language, thanksgiving, gratitude, uh, where, where he's able then the Holy Spirit to uh, expose sin in our life and we're able to repent of those sins. And then, uh, then we're able to bring petitions. And, and in my prayer time this past week, I brought a lot of things, a lot of petitions for a lot of you and for me and for other people. But then there's times, there are times when we don't come with all kinds of petitions, but we come, Jesse, with focused Focus prayer, and that's what this sermon is called, focus prayer. Listen, all the great prayers in the Bible that are answered miraculously by God, if you, if you track them and trend them and look at them, almost in every case you'll find one simple characteristic about the person praying, that they're focused on that thing in which they're praying about, right? Elijah calling down fire from heaven. Hannah praying for a child. Uh, Nehemiah is, is, is grieved and burdened about the walls of Jerusalem uh, that they're, they're torn down. He's not there rattling off ten different things to God about what he wants to see happen. He is focused. There's one thing on that man's heart. There's one burden of the Lord that has come upon his heart and that is to see his, the people of God let out of captivity go and be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem back. Amen? And we see a prayer like this found in Acts 12. And in Acts 12 Peter is thrown into prison. And it's a real bad time at this time for the church. King Herod, who is the great, uh, who, who's really the grandson of the other King Herod that we know. But this is King Herod the Great. And he's not a practicing Jew, but he wants to curry favor with the Jews. And so the Bible tells us uh, that, that, or, 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 uh, that what he did was that, and history tells us that what he did was that he began to uh, make favors for the Jews or really want to impress the Jewish people. So they, they were upset that the Christians were saying Christ is the Messiah and you have missed the Messiah. And because you've missed the Messiah, you're in trouble because you really have to accept the Messiah or it's uh-oh for you. And they begin to get enraged and they're upset about this. And so all of a sudden Herod wants to do favors for them. And so he arrests James. And all of a sudden the Bible tells us that what he does to James is he has James beheaded. And so they're all, give me an H, H, give me an E, E, give me an R, R, give me an O, O, give me a D. What's that spell? Herod. They're pumped up, right? Not like y'all. They're pumped up. 
And they're, they're, they're excited because he, man, he arrested a Christian. He's getting rid of these pesky Christians. And so Herod's now energized because he wants to please these people. So he says, you know what? If y'all are so happy about that, I'm going to snatch Peter. And I'm going to kill Peter. And so he has Peter there, and he has him during the feast days. But what he has to decide is, I'm going to be nice. I'm not that bad of a guy. I'm not going to kill him during the feast days. I'm going to wait till the feast, the eight days are over, and then I'm going to kill him. And so Peter is now in prison. The feast days are coming, and Peter is in this place. And at this bad time for the church, he's arrested, and the Jews are thrilled that he's arrested. But you can imagine what the church is feeling now. This is their second leader that is arrested. They're worried. They're, they're heavy. They're, 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 you can imagine it's the time of Passover. And they know that when the time of Passover is over, that Herod's going to come through on his promise. And he's going to kill Peter. And so Peter is in jail. And because these Christians are so pesky and so clever and, the, and often things happen uh, that, that, that uh, uh, cause trouble, kind of like Jesus rising from the dead and his body missing, now they say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Because this guy was close to Jesus and we're going to make sure this guy nothing happens so what do they do they take him and put him in a what would be an impossible situation the man has nothing the church has no money they have no buildings they have nothing impressive and and all of a sudden this man has no bail money he has nothing to get out he's there and all, but but if that's not enough to just put him into prison they put him in the inner part of the prison and they put two soldiers and they chain themselves to peter but we don't want him to get out, so we're going to take two more soldiers and we're going to put them at the door. And so you got the man in an inner cell of a prison. You got two people that are there chained to him, and you got two more that rotate in and out at the door there. So these soldiers are around the clock. They are there. Peter's in jail. It's a hopeless, helpless situation there. And the problem looks so difficult and so stubborn, like some of your problems today that you're dealing with, like maybe a wayward child, maybe a financial mountain that you don't see how in the world that it's going to be moved. Maybe it's a heartbreak that you think you can never get healed from it's just this impossible hopeless situation and we all have common faith right where we look at that common faith and we say oh sure God can do that right man God can do that and we easily run to God and say oh God help me in this area and we begin to pray those things because we have faith that God can do that but how many know when we get into that impossible situation that oftentimes it steals our prayer and we begin to doubt even God can't touch this right and it gets to a point where we begin to doubt and though it mocks us and we begin to get to a place where those situations seem like they're impossible. And that's where the early church is, like I said, with no money, no power, no public buildings. And now their leader is going to get killed. And now comes a very, very powerful verse, verse 5. Look at what it says in Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. But Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Thank you, Jesus. And look at verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, which would have been his end. He's going to be guilty and killed. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared from heaven, and a light shone from heaven. How many know when you pray, something comes from heaven? When you pray, something comes from heaven. A light comes where there was no darkness. And listen, that, look, they're praying for somebody else, and the light shows up where the other person is, folks. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray for our lost loved ones? Why don't we pray? When we pray, things happen. And when, we, when they prayed, a light shone in the cell where Peter was. And where there was darkness, there now was light. 
Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And listen, he struck Peter on the side. An angel shows up. An angel shows up. Maybe if you pray for that son or daughter, maybe the light bulb will come on and maybe an angel will show up. Maybe somebody will show up. Amen. Some of you act like you believe it with your little patty cake. But I'm telling you what, it's the word of God. He struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. How many know when you pray, God can wake people up who are sleeping? And I'm not talking about physically sleeping. I'm talking about he can wake up the drug addict. He can wake up the drunk. He can wake up the alcoholic, can he, Jeremy? He can wake up the pornographer. He can wake up the, the liar. He can wake up the, the anybody, folks. He can wake up a nation. He can wake up people when we pray. They're sleeping. Who's going to wake them up? Who's going to wake them up? They're sleeping, but, but they prayed. And, and all of a sudden, a light comes into the prison. An angel shows up. All of a sudden, he strikes Peter on the side and wakes him up out of this condition. He says, quick, get up. And he said, uh, and the chains fell off. How many know when you pray, chains fall off? And I'm not talking about just physical chains. I'm talking about chains of crack. I'm talking about chains of pornography. I'm talking about all other kinds of chains can come off when you begin to pray. Church, it's time to pray again. It's time to quit just worrying and talking about our loved ones that are lost. And man, they're never going to get saved. And how can God reach them? And they're going further off the deep end. Just shut your mouth and begin to open it to God in prayer. Then the angel said unto him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. You know, you ever walk up and you're just out of it. You don't know if you're awake or sleeping still. You don't know if you're dreaming or whatever. That's where Peter is. He's so drowsy. He's so at that place like, I don't know if I'm having a vision. I don't know if this is really happening. I don't know if I'm dreaming. And all of a sudden, they passed through the first and the second guards. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opens for them by itself. How many know when you pray, God can open doors? Doors that seem like they could never be open. God can open them when they get to the city they don't need a crowbar and they don't need a key they just walk up and the doors just come flying open my friend when you pray things begin to happen our God is an awesome God amen Hallelujah. I know there's people here that need doors open. You need doors open for somebody. You need a door open. Well, when you pray, man, the light comes on. All of a sudden, heaven shows up. Angels show up. Help shows up. All of a sudden, all these things begin to happen. And then and the chains begin to fall off. And then all of a sudden, we see doors open. And it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better. It opened for them by itself. They went through it. And when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. How many know when you pray that God rescues people? He rescues people. Amen. He rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen to me. Oh, folks. Oh, just a, just a simple story with the great truth. That all the prayers in the Bible that are impossible, all the impossible prayers that are in the Bible where God comes through, they were praying, it seems like, just for one thing. And they were praying for that thing so earnestly and so fervently. And God heard their cry. God heard them. And if you've got a real stubborn mountain right now in front of you, you've got something that seems just absolutely impossible. As I said, earlier don't pray for 11 different things we want to pray for that one thing we want to be focused on that one thing when you get in a real emergency how many know when you get in a real emergency I need God to come through now I need him to come through now and I need him to hear this thing that is on my heart and mind listen they have soldiers but we have a God who is great and who hears and answers prayer so we are now going to turn our focus back again to Peter they weren't 
weren't praying, Lord, bless the missionaries. They didn't gather and stop everything. Look, they stopped everything. No, it'd be like we came in here this morning and we find out Daniel is in prison. And we just decide we don't believe in prayer. It's good luck, Daniel. Good luck, man. That's impossible. There ain't no way. We don't have the money. They put the bell. It's, it's, there's no way. There's no way. He's, he's, he's toast. He, he's on death row, and it's over. And, 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 and so we come in, and we just decide, well, we might as well just have normal service. I mean, is that what we should do in a time like that? The church comes in when they get word of this, and they stop everything, thank God. They stop everything and they turn that service into a prayer meeting. And I don't know how long it lasted, but the, the focus wasn't, oh God, let's pray for the missionaries. Oh God, let's pray for the pastors. Oh God, let's pray for sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. No, it was none of that. It was Peter. It was Peter. We have come to pray for Peter. We got one focus. We got one thing we need. And that we got a brother that is in trouble. And if we don't call on God, he's cooked. Go. He is done. He is out he's done for and we don't have money we don't have resources we don't have power we have nothing but we have a God who we can call on and when we call on him he answers our prayers and I don't know if it went on for days or morning or noon or night maybe they were fasting maybe they took break breaks for sleep maybe they're crying out God we lost James we can't lose Peter also Lord, help us. And they earnestly prayed, the Bible says. There's a couple of words where that word earnestly is found in the Bible. Two other places. It's a Greek word. And it's one of the places where it says, uh, we are to love each other, but make sure that your love is earnest and fervent. That's one of the places it's used. Make sure you don't have a half-baked love. Make sure that your love for each other is fervent. Make sure it's earnest. That's one place. And the second place that word is used, it was where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. So that tells you the kind of word we're talking about. The church was here and they were earnestly praying. The earnest prayer was going up from the church. And sometimes the most earnest prayers when have no word said, right? Sometimes it's not just loud screaming. Loud screaming doesn't make God hear you any better, right? Sometimes it's just, a, just there's no words to even be said. It's just a cry from the heart. Sometimes tears are the greatest prayer that can go up in the world. That it's just our tears that we have. And those go Sometimes it's a groan that begins to come where the Holy Spirit begins to come with groans and sometimes it's a prayer language that begins to come out of our mouth. Utterances that come out of our mouth and we begin to pray to God. But I can tell you this, when the focus begins to be put on that one focus, that one thing, the Holy Spirit comes and gives you the utterance. The Holy Spirit comes and helps us to galvanize our focus on what we're praying for. And folks, we need that. Like I said, I want to pour out my soul to you like Hannah. Like Hannah. You remember Hannah in the Bible? You remember what she wanted? She wanted a child. She's not interested in praying about uh, God blessing her financially. She's not interested about God doing this or doing that. Hannah's in that temple and she's got one thing on her mind and she can't even pray it with words. She's over there just absolutely broken before God. Her lips move but there's no sound that came out. And what does it say when she prayed for this thing that she was so focused on. The Holy Spirit comes in and helps her galvanize her focus onto that thing. And the Bible says that God hears her prayer and God answers it. One of my favorite people that I listened to is a man by the name of Jim Simla. And we went, had the privilege of being in one of their prayer meetings. And it is, I've never been anything like it before in my life. And one time his daughter was uh, years and years ago, she got away from the Lord really bad, really bad, to where she had to be put out of the house, and God at one point told him, don't even talk to her, that, that, that you got to let me deal with her, and, and it was just a really, really hard time, and he said, God, this man who knew all about prayer said God was taking me into a new school of prayer, because he said, I began to learn what it meant to pray without ceasing. 
And he said, all, it didn't matter if you were talking to me, if we were having a conversation, he said. And all of a sudden, if you paused, he said, my spirit inside would start praying. Because he said, that's how desperate it got that he was praying for his little girl. That's how desperate it became. That just every waking moment, every, his spirit, the, the spirit of the Lord had galvanized his focus onto that one thing. And he just constantly was in communion with God over this thing. Every time there was a pause, he said one time he was preaching, he got so bad... He said he was about to lose his mind. He said he was preaching in the, in the pulpit. And he said all of a sudden in the middle, he said his spirit began to pray right in that, uh, that moment for his daughter. God bless Chrissy. God help her. Help her. And he said, he said it was so weird. He said, I am preaching and I am praying at the same time. And he said, I, 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 told, I was sitting there thinking and telling God, you got you to gotta help me. I, I've got to give the people the word of God. And I'm, I'm losing it here. And you've got to help me to focus and give the word of God. And take care of this situation. And folks, I'm telling you, that's the kind of prayer I'm talking about where it gets a burden, where it just comes down and where it just burdens us and burdens us. And you can't stop praying. Your spirit just constantly is going to the throne of grace. Has anybody ever had that happen where you just have something to that level? Yeah, I got one, two, a couple of people. Well, folks, when you go through really something bad, and I hope you don't, but if you go through something really troubling, you're going to go through a time where that happens where you just you can't think of anything else that your need the God the need is so great and God you know I need this God you know I need this to happen and you just continue to pray and your prayers are helped by the Holy Spirit and that's where this guy is in prison Peter is in prison two guards as I said are right beside him chained to him two more guards are at the door now it's impossible but how many somebody said it earlier I think Diane said it when it's impossible with man nothing Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Guess what? Jim Simla's prayers were heard. His daughter came back. She married a minister. She's in the ministry today. God answers prayer. And guess what? God answered this prayer for Peter as well. Because God set this man free. God set a man free. It was absolutely miraculous. Absolutely uh, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? So the question is, anybody got a mountain? Anybody got a mountain? Anybody got a mountain? I don't want to pray for 10 things today. I want to pray for, I, I, I don't want to pray for 10. I want to pray, I want to pray for just, just one specific thing. One specific thing. Go to that other sermon and let me just, I, this is what I think I want to pray for today. One specific thing. We're only at 1130. Marcy played me something yesterday that I'm going to play at some point at this church. Folks, we're, we're in an evil world. You better get your kid off the devices as fast as you can. Because I'm going to tell you what, what she showed me yesterday made the hair on the back of my head stand up. She showed me a cartoon that just glorified hell like there is no end. It made Satan look like a victim. It's insane. They are teaching your children how to worship Satan today. Teaching them how to worship Satan. And you say, not my child. Oh, folks, I got news for you. If you're on one of those devices, they are, they're getting sucked in. Sucked into pornography, sucked into witchcraft, sucked into to, to all kinds of wickedness and evil. Because there is an unholy trinity out there. And I want us to go to Revelation 13 because I think this is what God wants our prayer focus to be this morning. I just want to give you a few things here as well. Let me read this real quick. And uh, how many is up for two sermons today? Amen. 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 Revelation 13. Listen to what this says. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And it had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns. And to each of its head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had the feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne great authority. One of his heads uh, of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with 
with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain uh, before the crea- from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone has to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for a patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had a mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and that number is 666. Now, this is what I feel like we need to pray for against this because this spirit of this age is coming. I think we need to have a prayer focus at the end against this power that is coming to try to take into captivity the people of this earth, even even trying to destroy God's people. Listen, Revelation speaks about an unholy trinity. It speaks about a dragon who is Satan, a beast who rises up out of the sea, and a beast who rises up out of the earth and wants you to pledge allegiance to the first beast. And listen, they're fighting this cosmic battle, the real trinity and this unholy trinity. They are fighting this battle that is taking place. And as God is allowing this fight, and God is not in heaven biting his nails saying, I hope I don't lose the fight. God is allowing this fight to go on because he has redemptive purposes that he is accomplishing in this fight continuing to go on. And he has already won the fight. He's just allowing it to unfold and to play out in a thousand different ways and because he is working like I said redemption he's preparing a bride he's judging the wicked and he is ushering in a new heaven and a new earth that is coming wherein the righteous will dwell amen and he's fighting not only against God but he's fighting against the church right and the Bible encourages believers to be watchful and pray and alert. Listen, it says the dragon stood on the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea that had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on its horn, and on each of its head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like those of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne great authority. And one of the heads on the uh, the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Now, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, I know Corey or some of the guys, we read this recently, a few of us, and I can tell you this. This beast, to me, looks an awful lot lot like the beast in, in the the book of Daniel, does it not? If you've ever read it, it looks exactly like the beast. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and four beasts came out of the sea, and every single one of those beasts resembles the beast that is being described in Revelation. Those four beasts were supposed to represent the nation that ruled over the world at that time. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. So Revelation 13 describes this beast that comes up out of the sea in such a way that the text actually shows us he is the very embodiment of everything that was expressed in those four beasts in the book of Daniel. Now, this is not mine, but this is something that I borrowed from somebody who's a lot smarter than me. But the beast from the sea, according to the Bible, is the state. And the beast from the sea is human kingdoms that are trying to build a utopia, a functioning and flourishing civilization independent of God. That's what we have going on today inside 
outside of our world. And when John wrote this about the beast and the seven churches would have been reading this, they would have thought, this is Rome. This beast coming out of the sea. That's who immediately, because that was the ruling power in their day and their time. But if you would have been living in the time of Assyria, you would have thought that. If you would have been living in the time of Babylon, you would have thought that. In the time of Persia, in the time of the Medes, in the time of Greece, in the time of Rome, it would have looked like that. The Revelation 13 beast would have looked like Egypt at the time that it was ruling in her day and time. The beast represents any form of government or any form of the state that seeks after the power to try to create a society that succeeds and prospers outside of submitting and seeking after God. Any government that pursues human flourishing independent of God will always turn into a beast. Listen to that. Any government that pursues human flourishing independent of God will always turn into a beast. I got news for you. That's what's happening in your world right now. And that government in seeking to make conditions better for mankind will become the very thing they are trying to rid the world of and will use their power to subdue all of humankind. It says this beast has a wound in its head, but the wound gets healed. You know what that ultimately means? I understand. Look, folks, I know what's coming in the future, but 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 but, but sometimes we get so focused on we, we miss the meaning of what is actually going on here. This means it's hard to kill him. It's hard to kill this beast. Throughout history, people have tried to kill the beast, but they have failed. They tried to kill the beast in World War II when it, when it raised its ugly head and manifested under Nazis. And they tried to kill it. They thought they had killed it, but all of a sudden it resurrected and came back in the form of communism. And then the Cold War came and they thought they had killed the beast under communism, but it resurrected and came back in the form of evolution and humanism. And they thought they had killed that, but now it's come back in the form of secularism and so on and so on and so on. People worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and those dwelling on the place who's, who live in uh, heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him heal. Now the ultimate goal of this beast is not to consolidate political power. But hear me, the ultimate goal of this beast is to capture the loyalty and worship of God's people. That's exactly what it's trying to do. It is trying to divert it away from God. It wants to take everybody on the face of the earth and to bring them to it and away from God. Divert their attention away from God. Divert them away from the worship of God. Divert them away from the truth of God. And he does everything that he possibly can to make the church look to and depend on the state instead of looking at God. In other words, pulling your loyalty away from Jesus. That's the first beast. Here's the second beast. So that's any party, government, or part of the state that is trying to create a world that flourishes independent of God. And that's what we have going on in our world today. And then there's a second beast. And I want you to hear this. I want you to understand what's going on in your world today. And the purpose of this second beast is to get you to worship the first beast. It looks like a lamb. But it has power to perform signs and wonders. 
He establishes an image eventually of the first beast that gives breath to it. He, he, he takes the second beast, uh, the Bible says, puts it into prison and puts people into prison and kills anyone who doesn't worship the first beast. And then he forces everyone to receive a mark. His name is called the false prophet. The second beast, listen, is dragon manipulated religious power. The first beast coming out of the sea is dragon manipulated political power. And now the second one is the one coming out of the earth is dragon manipulated religious power. Has anybody noticed the culture wars we are experiencing in our society? Are they not beginning to sound like a religion? Yeah. How about climate change? You ever heard of that religion? Pulling you away from God? To the state, we're your answer, we're your God, we can help the situation. Anybody heard of sexuality and gender that is literally consuming the world now and the the population? Drawing people away to, to come to the first beast for your answer? Like a religion now? Like a religion, I mean literally, like, like people are so into causes now that they literally worship them. I mean, it's like a, like a cult movement. These are the things that they're living for. It's a type of religion. Worshiping God and serving Jesus has been replaced with worshiping self and serving a cause, which is a false religion. And, and this religion is forcing everybody to look at the state, to look at the government, to begin to fix all their injustices, all their problems of a world independent of God. And folks, that's where this world is marching us. That's where this first beast is. And that's where this second beast is pushing people to the first one. And Revelation 13, I know it's future, but it's playing out right before your eyes right now as well. And let's closing look at the number 666. Because some of you may be closer to it than you realize already. The number of the beast is the number of man, 666. What is 666? Well, 6 is 1 less than 7, right? And 7 is what? Completion. And three is another term used in the Bible for completion. So basically, you, it represents completion, uh, seven and th- three does. And what you have here is the number of the beast is 666, is the beginning to give us the picture of what the beast has to offer is complete incompleteness. That's what he's offering the people, complete incompleteness. In other words, it will never save nor satisfy you. It will never answer your, your, it will never be the answer that you think it will be. Yet there's people that will be mesmerized by the beast and line up for this thing eventually. But it will never satisfy. It's complete incompleteness. And they'll be forced to receive a mark. And the Bible says it, that, that, that this mark will be on the right hand or the forehead. And it's the name of the beast. And it's the mark of the beast. But, and we could speculate all day long. Is it our phone? Is it a chip that's going? into our hand? Is it something branded on our body? But I want you to see something that is much deeper, I think, than even that. Is there anywhere else where we hear of a place where we're marked on our hand and on our forehead? And our little Jewish lady knows exactly where I'm going. The Shema. Listen, it's the only place, and it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength. Now, what do we do when we do that? We are to take His Word, and we're actually supposed to engrave it on the door frames of our house. We're supposed to take His Word, and we're supposed to put it on our gates. We're supposed to speak of it everywhere we go. We're supposed to speak it to it to our children. We're to talk about it here. We're to talk about it there. We're to take. They literally took the Orthodox Jews 
Jews, and I, I saw them in Israel, they take little boxes and literally with the Word of God in it, put it on their hand, they wrap it around their forearm and around their hand, and folks, it, it, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk about the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hand, bind them on your forehead, write them on the door frames of your house, and as I said, many people do it, and the Shema is all about, it was God shaping and molding His people. It was using His character in the Word to engulf them, to stir up affections in His people so that they would live it out in an obedient life. That's what it was supposed to do. So the mark of the beast is something, folks, even greater than a microchip. It's something even deeper. It's about an ideology that is all around you on that phone, on that television, on magazines, on all around you. When you come in here, there, everywhere on advertisement, and it's all this idolatry that is all around us, all in our conversation, in the new feed, constant streaming, stirring our affections, shaping and molding and moving us into action. Listen, the forehead represents ideology and the hand represents action. The scriptures are talking about internal, internal character manifesting itself in behavior. We are so obsessed with trying to find out the mark of the beast. That, uh, the mark of the beast will be that we don't even realize that many are already wearing it. It's basically not surrendering everything. To the I am that I am. And how do we fight back? Let me see what time it is. Ten more minutes. How do we fight back? How do you fight back against this ideology that is shaping us and moving us into action when it needs to be the Word of God shaping our minds on our hands, moving us into action? This needs to be moved. But sadly, we're not into this. We're into this. And you might already be marked. It's already moving you in the ways of the world. It's already moving you in the things of the Antichrist. Already moving you. John said, look, yeah, there's an Antichrist coming. But do you not know? Open your eyes. There's many Antichrists that are already here. And I say there's a mark already here. In Ezekiel and other places, they saw the mark of God on people. Why would they not see this mark on people? Right? So how do we fight back against this dragon and this two-beast system? Listen to what Revelation actually tells us in verse 9 and 10. Whoever has ears, let him hear. In other words, pay attention. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they'll go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's People. He's actually quoting the book of Jeremiah in verse 10. And he's actually, Jesus said these very words himself. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And what he's basically saying is you cannot fight back and resist Satan and the beast and the Antichrist system with the same weapons that they use. You can't go on eBay and buy an old Russian tank and get it at your house and stockpile a bunch of ammunition and win against the dragon and the beast system. You can't go up to the mountains and get a bunch of beanie weenies and hide forever. This calls for patient endurance. According to the Bible, the way we fight this thing is through patient endurance and faithfulness to God. Patient endurance and faithfulness to God. That's how we begin to fight through uh, patient endurance. Listen, uh, sin hardens and dulls us, doesn't it? Sin hardens you. It dulls our emotions. So when we get allow this thing to get into us and we begin to, uh, to, to listen to it, it hardens our spirit. It takes us away from the faithfulness of God. It causes us no longer to hear the promises of God and get excited about them or to get in us. Sometimes we can't even get excited in a church room when there's good preaching going on. Because our senses are so dulled. You open the word, it's a dead letter. Well, I tried, Brad, to read the Bible. 
It's just a dead, dead history book and letter that we're reading. You're supposed to hunger inside. There's supposed to be a hunger inside of here. If there's not, if the check engine light's on, you ought to be the first in the altar. You ought to be crying out to God, saying there's something not right, God, and i got to know what's not right in here. Amen? Amen? The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you got sin in your life and it's unconfessed, you can't see God. It's blocking your vision and, and they shall see God. You can't see it with known sin in your life. You must pursue purity if you're going to see God. And listen, I want to close with this. One of the biggest things that is causing this and the beast is using in this last day is something called pornography. And it is dulling our senses and it's affecting the church. And it is dulling our senses. There is sex everywhere in our culture now. Everywhere. In cartoons, on commercials. Everything's a sexual innuendo. And pornography is like a billion trillion dollar industry now in our society. And it is affecting men and women and everybody. And it's dulling our senses to hear and see God. You say, well, I don't think pornography is a sin. Well, how about Ephesians 5, 3? But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Do you think pornography is a hint? Do you think sleeping with somebody outside of marriage is a hint? I say it's more than a hint. But who, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. God's saying, I need purity and I need holiness in the last day in your life if you're going to hear from me and see me and continue to seek me. Listen to what Philippians 4, 8 says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Not feasting on all these other things that the world is telling us is okay to feast on, folks. I'm telling you, they will take our, our love for God. They will take our affection for God. They'll steal your prayer life. They'll steal the, the word life. They'll steal your worship life. I don't want to play with pornography. I don't want to play with things on my television that just skirt near the edge. I, I don't want to miss out on what God wants to show me through His word in the last days and in the last times. Amen? Amen? You say, that's good, but I've tried. I've tried to quit these things. Here, we're gonna, I'm going to say this, and then we're going to focus real quick on a closing prayer, and we're going to go. I tried too. I sat under preaching just like this, listened to preaching, battling Things like nobody's business. I got the accountability partners. I read more. I prayed more. I went up and got laid hands on every time I could get laid hands on. And it didn't work. I'd get a month of victory. I'd get a week of victory. I'd get maybe a couple months if I got lucky. And then I'd fall right back. Until... Until I got a revelation of the new covenant. And it changed my life. And it went like this. I'm going to use the story of David. How many knew David fighting Goliath? I used to think, here's the way my old Christian walk life thought. I'm David. That giant is my pornography. And i got to get strong enough to take him down. God's going to help me take him down. And God finally helped me to see truth. And he said, that's a type of Jesus is David. And he is the one who's going to take your sin down. And the whole story changed. See, David, what, you remember what the story said? 
The father said, go join yourselves with your brother on the battlefield. Does that sound familiar? Go check on your brothers and join yourself with your brothers on the battlefield. That's exactly what Jesus did. He comes to the battlefield and where are the brothers? They're hiding behind the rocks, terrified. <laughs> Peeing in their pants behind the rock. And they are there freaking out. And all of a sudden, they're not going to fight a giant and take the giant down. All of a sudden, David comes in and he says, What are you doing back here hiding behind the rocks? And they said, Who, Who's going to deal with this uncircumcised Philistine? David says, I will. Let me go out there and take care of it. And David goes out there, picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch, takes one, puts it in there, takes the giant down, and then the Bible says he takes the giant's sword. That's exactly a type of the cross where Jesus took death, which was a weapon of Satan, took his own weapon, chopped his head off, and defeated him at the cross of Calvary. Then David takes two hands and takes this big old head and it's bleeding and takes it about four or five miles from Eli all the way across, the, the Bible says, to Jerusalem. And he's got this head and I can imagine as he passed people out in the field and they're looking like, what is that little guy doing with that bloody head walking across there? And I'm sure that David, if he'd stopped, he'd say, this is anything that has ever tried to come against you that you can't defeat. I defeated it for you. And folks, when I got that revelation and I put my faith no longer in Brad trying to do something and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, his spirit came in and empowered me and gave me strength that I could walk out of prison houses and go into places where I never could, thought I could get out of. And I'm telling you, he'll do the same for you. And I could go on and on. Abraham, Abraham has a covenant with God and he does nothing. God is making the covenant. He takes the perfect sacrifice and God is meeting with himself in that covenant, making in this covenant. And the only thing Abraham has to do is believe the promise and shoo the birds away from trying to, shoo, from trying to get the promise. And that's all you've got to do is go into the word of God and get the promise. And then you've got to shoo the birds away from trying to steal it away and say, not today, devil. I come to prayer and I say, not today. Today. No, God has promised me something, and if He said it, He's not a God that can lie. He will do it. And folks, when I got a hold of that, I went to God in prayer and I said, I don't know how, I may not know how, and I may not know when, but I know you're going to do it again. And I don't know how you're going to bring me out of this, but I know one day you're going to, and I'm going to keep coming to you until you do. I'm going to keep believing you, I'm going to keep standing on your word. And folks, I did that, and God delivered me as sure as I'm standing here. Hallelujah. But the freedom never came until I saw that. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for everything in your word. We thank you for, for your promises, God. I don't know if this is kosher to take two sermons and smash them together like that, but God really doesn't matter. Father, we see one story, God, of a church that God... It got so desperate and so impossible that they went to prayer for their brother. And God, as they put their focus on you, the Holy Spirit joined them and began to put a burden so much in them that they began to pray. And God, you heard their prayer. And God, you sent light into that prison. You broke chains in that prison, God. You led him out with an angel out of that place, God. You worked miracles and took, that, took, took Peter out of that and brought him all the way to that prayer meeting where they were, God. They didn't even believe their prayer was answered when he showed up at the door. They, they were just so, it was just so amazing. But God, you did amazing things when they prayed and they focused on prayer. So teach us about God, the focus, God, of, of praying for something that you put on your heart. And God, I, I, I was going to at first ask for things in their life, but God, I'm going I'm to encourage people to go home and whatever that thing is in their heart that they need to focus on, that God, this week they'll go home and they'll just begin to cry out to you for that thing in their heart. They won't come with 10 or 11 things, but they'll focus on that one thing. But God, in closing right now, God, I, I just feel a need, God, that as this culture and this society is coming, this beast system, 
system is just trying to pull us away from God. And now all this false prophet type force is beginning to pull us away uh, from, from Jesus and to get us into other type religion. And, and they begin to put our allegiance towards the first beast to help us with our problems. And God, we've got a society that seems to be eating it up. And God, I want to focus our prayer right here in closing that God, don't let our children and our society to be overwhelmed and overcome by this beast. Let people run to Jesus Christ. Let them run to Jesus Christ. Lord, let us stay pure in heart. Let us stay pure in heart. Let us stay holy. The pure in heart shall see God. Lord, let us take your word and bind it upon our our forehead and on our hands to where, God, it begins to move us into action. It gets into every part of our being, God, into every part in our mind, into our soul, into our hands, into our feet. And we begin to, it begins to change us, God. We teach it to our children and it changes them, God. And it changes our culture and our society. Oh, Father, I just pray, God, that you would help us in this last hour, God. Let this beast system no longer be allowed to come into our home and be able to come in and steal our affections from Christ. Let it no longer be able to steal, God, our children away from God. Lord, now we have them going off to godless, oh, atheistic, sickening, sickening universities now, God, where, where they're absolutely poisoning the people's minds and taking them away from God. And I'm not afraid to say it. That's exactly what most of them are now. Godless institutions that are against God. And dear Father, we need you again in this nation. Would you stand all over the house with me? And I want us just for a phone. Let's turn this for about five minutes into a prayer meeting. And I want you to get a single focus. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray for your families. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray. I want you to look in your own life and see the places where this, 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 this system, this beast system has influenced your life. And it stole promises from your heart. And it stole affection away from uh, God. And I want us right now to just single focusly pray to God. And ask God to protect our homes and our families and our children and our churches and our lives. So let's just do that right now.